St. Paul. Good to see you all here today. You too. Uh, Paul, we might turn that air conditioner on if it's all right. Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn once again to the book of Acts. Your Bibles should start to go there by themselves. Acts chapter 12, we find ourselves in, as we turn, as you're turning to Acts chapter 12, um, this is, a, if you will, a turning point. We're going to, after chapter 12, uh, the guy that's been so preeminent in the first 12 chapters is Peter. Peter shows up everywhere. He's the one that is the beginning of the church, if you will. Um, he has the keys to the kingdom, if you will. Now, right here at chapter 12, um, we're going to find him in another climactic moment, and he's going to slip off to scenes. He's, he's going to show up one more time in chapter 15 just periodically, and he's gone. Uh, the rest of the book of Acts now will be dealing with Paul primarily. We'll be talking about the chronicles of Paul, if you will, as he's working with the Gentile population. Now, if you think about it, which is the key to understanding Acts, is the first 12 verses, Peter is incredibly valuable in the sense that he's the key component. And if you think about what's taking place, the Holy Spirit was predicted by Jesus to come upon his departure, Jesus' departure. So this is what Acts is about, is really entering the Holy Spirit, that is God himself, that will be entering into the church and in every single believer. Now the way to validate that is essentially he came to the Jews first, just as Jesus said to the disciples just before he went uh, back to heaven in chapter 1, verse 8. They appeared to, uh, the Holy Spirit came on the Jews first, Feast of Pentecost. Then he was to get, they were go to, to go to Samaria, northern, north, of, north of Jerusalem, and we know that Peter was there to validate that this, the Samaritans received the same Holy Spirit. Then, ultimately, to the uttermost parts of the world, which would include all of us here today, the Gentile population. And again, Peter through Cornelius, which we spent a number of weeks in chapter 11, 10 and 11, uh, it showed the significance, again, of validating that the same Holy Spirit was working the same mighty works individually and corporately for the church overall. That was Peter's mission because in chapter 16 of Matthew, Peter was that person that Jesus said after he had given through the power of the Spirit, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he said, the gates of hell shall not prevent shall not prevail against the church. It's interesting today as we read this passage, you cannot fight against God and win. Herod's a fool. That's the one we pick on today in chapter 12. But literally, Peter now has turned the keys to every one of those facets, shall we say, to make the universal church of which we're here today. We're here because of the history that took place in Acts. This is amazing, is it not? To start with 12 disciples, 12 apostles, I should say, because it was all of the foundation was built on the apostles, those 12 men. And to see from the very the inception of the church, Peter opened the keys to each and every one of those groups, and now here we are today. We're sitting in this place today because of what took place in Acts. We're sitting here because the same Holy Spirit that came upon individually each one of those believers. Now, in the Old Testament... Holy Spirit came, Holy Spirit left. Remember, David even said in one of his, I would say, one of his deepest moments, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Think of that. The good news is that cannot happen to you on this side of Jesus Christ, having died on the cross and has went and ascended into heaven. He said, I must go so the comforter can come. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have within you 
indwelling. You as being the tabernacle or the very temple of God, the Holy Spirit, which is not leaving for any reason. Amen. That is fantastic news. That's why I would rather be a New Testament believer than an Old Testament believer. <laughs> At any rate, okay, that was, the, that was the warm up. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. We'll read it together now. Acts chapter 12. And we will see again another level or a wave of persecution. This time by the man Herod Agrippa the uh, first. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to, to, to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to, to hearken named Rhoda. When she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued to knocking. And when, he had, when they had opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? When Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, and they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in a royal apparel, sat upon his throne, made an oration unto them, and the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, once again, we're here to thank you for your sovereignty, for your power, for your majesty, all of the things that make you the almighty God. 
thank you for the scriptures, and especially this book we're studying through now, the book of Acts, the history of the church. The, the bridge, if you will, from the Gospels to Romans and the rest of the epistles that Paul wrote. We find ourselves in chapter 12, Father, and we're looking at a man that thought he was amazingly powerful. He thought he was someone that he wasn't. Anyone that actually, Father, is fighting you is absolutely destined to lose. Regardless of their perception of power, prestige, or who they think they are, they will lose. Another example of that, Father, of you are God and you alone are God. Thank you for answering the prayers of those that sought Peter's release. Thank you for the encouragement that we can get as well. You are the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, today, take these words that we've read and the scriptures as a whole, Father, and then minister to our needs through the power of the Holy Spirit, who we would ask would be exclusively our teacher on this time that we're gathered. Father, you know the needs of those that are here today, and we, we can't possibly even know the depths of some of the struggles that they may be facing. But, Father, you know it. You know them. You love them. You care for them. Wrap your arms around them that they would know to the innermost parts of themselves that you are God and you alone are caring for them. Thank you for what you'll do in these moments as we trust you in advance. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, as we uh, talked about, the church, its final inception of groups has been completed. We get to the end of chapter 11, and the Gentiles now are part of the universal church. They're worshiping the same God with the same Holy Spirit receiving as the Jews began back in Jerusalem. Uh, as hard as that would be for the rest of them to believe, it is in fact true. And Peter was that one that validated all of those sequences that needed to take place. Well, we're at another turning point, if you will. Things are going to heat up. We know from chapter 7 that the first real serious death or martyrdom of a Christian by the name of Stephen, that things began to push outward from the sense of the gospel moving. This will be another one, actually, as a result of chapter 12, that it says at the end, you saw it, but the church multiplied. God's word continued. Regardless of what anyone, or any, and I'm thinking of even more recent, uh, Herod Agrippa is the one we're going to be working on today. He was a man that fought God. Uh, that is the most foolish thing possible. There are people today that are living on, right, probably just down the street from me, that literally are shaking their fist in God's eyes and say, I will not have you. They're fighting God. That, my friends, is foolish. Uh, I'm sorry to say that there is no winning. Actually, I'm not sorry to say because I want my God to be supreme, right? I want him to be supreme. I want him to be able to call the shots because if he couldn't, he's not my God either. But God is saying... Well, in fact, uh, if you think of in Psalms, I was going to end with it, maybe a good place to end as well. But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a fool. There are fools at the top of our government chain today that say there is no God. There are fools that are acting as if they can fight God. If they have enough money, enough power, must, enough prestige, they can literally thwart God's purposes. Uh, why don't you speak with Adolf Hitler for a moment? Charles Darwin. As far as I'm concerned, he fought God for most of his life create another way for people to decide other than the creator has determined the sense of the really the inception of life they fought against God we could go through the scriptures Cain fought against God <laughs> Satan fought against God we'll be looking at his demise at the very end I don't care who you are if you're fighting against God you will lose <laughs> 
There's no question about it. It's not like sometimes you win. No, no. In the sense of time of which God, a thousand years and one day is the same. He created time. Think of that for a moment. You'd want to pay attention to that, right? Jesus Christ cut time in half. There's before Christ and after Christ. He divided time. That's the God that I hope that everyone comes to serve and love. With that, though, uh, we have, there's dynamics here. There's a lot of politics within this chapter, and we'll take time to at least expose some of it. Uh, Herod was from a family. This, this is Herod Agrippa I. He would be a grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great would have been coming onto the throne uh, in Israel back in about 41 B.C., before Christ was born. Herod the Great, he was the one that literally... He was not a justified ruler within Israel. He was an Edomite. He was not to be on the throne, but he took control. He was able to, shall we say, under the guise of the Romans, was able to pony up or cozy up to them. And on the, on the, the female side of the Herod dynasty were the Maccabees. Okay, now, we don't have a Maccabees within our Bible, but uh, in a Catholic Bible, they have three different books of the Maccabees. Okay? And it talks about that family and the sense of how influential they were during a time of overreach, particularly from the Greek uh, Empire. Uh, you remember that guy's name? Um, I'm struggling with myself right now. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, no wonder you missed it. That, that's a sweet name, isn't it? Everyone's the last name here. Antiochus. I'll just call my son Antiochus. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, his Epiphanes means great. He, he, he saw himself as Antiochus the Great One. Okay, the people called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means the madman. And that's what he was. He was crazy. He was absolutely out of his mind. He was another one that fought God, literally. Well, the Maccabeans were a people that came from the hills and literally came and overpowered him at some point. That would have been part of the Herod dynasty, if you will, from the female side of it. Herod the Great was a man that was evil beyond belief. Now, he'd been married ten times, um, had children. I don't even know how many, honestly. I should know, but I don't. Um, and he was just, just incredibly evil. At, at, at every level, and he was always self-serving, always looking to preserve himself and his dynasty. Uh, when Jesus Christ was born during the latter part of his reign, uh, the wise men came, and you know the story in Matthew, that they came, where is this one king, born king of the Jews? Boy, I'll tell you what, you had his ear. Herod, I'm the king. What are we talking about here? Who's the king of the Jews? Well, of course, he would have taken matters in his own hands. The wise men would have returned another way by the direction of God. And ultimately, you know what he did. He went to the little town of Bethlehem and killed every male son, every, every male child that would have been two years old and younger. That's this man's grandfather. It's a tough family. Tough, excuse me. He did. He absolutely. I mean, can you imagine growing up that's your grandfather? In fact, Herod the Great was so wicked, he said upon his death, he said to round up <laughs> basically all of his family and kill them. I mean, the guy's nuts. But here's the deal. He fought God his entire life as well. His grandfather did. Now, that's something that's interesting. It's amazing how many times God gives the opportunity to get it right. Even within this chapter, chapter 12, uh, and, and I'm summarizing for just a moment. We'll get into the particulars. But here's, here's this man, Herod Agrippa, and he's trying to make a name for himself politically. He knows that the Jews, and I'm saying Jews now, those that do not, do not succumb and trust Jesus Christ. They hate him at every level and have. They've spent their lives hating him. They're fighting Jesus. 
But the Jews are in a place of power and position. So if our man Herod Agrippa can make a favor with the Jews, it's a good bone for him to have. And he looks better in the eyes of Rome. He has these Jews under control. You can tell it's just a political game here, totally political game. He's playing it to the max. We find now in chapter 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And again, keeping the Jews in the church are at complete uh, odds. There, there's nothing there. And it says he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Now, that's the first apostle literally would have lost his life for martyrdom. Now, this is James, the son of John. I'm sorry, the brother of John. And John, we know him, he would have written the book of Revelation, which is really cool, I think. You find that he was exiled to the Isle Patmos, and the king had tried to. This, now, this is just tradition, but he, he literally tried to boil him in oil, and he couldn't do it. So he said, ah, enough of that. And he sends him off to an island. He can be by himself, and he can't do anything to anyone, and he will be totally by himself in complete solitary and guess what God had him do in solitary confinement is he wrote to us the book of Revelation, which literally gives me a great deal of hope looking forward no matter what happens in America, no matter what happens anywhere in the world, God wins. <laughs> no matter what. In fact, we'll probably go there as, as we end our session that even Satan, the one that believed he would be like God, the one that was most deceived. I mean, there's people that have succumbed to lies. Satan bought his own lie that he would be as God. Think of that. He he lied to himself enough so that he's literally destined to a final place in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the lake of burning fire, the, the lake of fire. That's where he's going. That's not in question. It's not a fight. It's done. It's determined that it will happen. Now, that should give us a great deal of encouragement today. Our country has gone mad, right? I mean, uh, if, if you listen to the news, you can't take a lot of it. You can't. You, can't you're, you, you shouldn't, by the way, either. It's, it's, so, it's so weird. It's so out there. But you know what I'm here to say? They will lose that fight God. That's not in question. It's going to happen. Even their leader of society, Satan, is bound ultimately to hell. Well, uh, Kim, King Agrippa is having a great time. He's killed James. Um, it says by the sword, probably beheaded him. Uh, did, now, there's something that was, we read this chapter. Did you notice something that uh, this will be, this is kind of a first, but we don't need it anymore. Remember when Judas Iscariot killed himself? What happened then? He was replaced, correct? We brought another man in, and it was through, through God selecting through lots, and we had 12 apostles again. Jesus spoke to 12 apostles at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. James is an apostle. He's not replaced. The church is far enough down the line that the foundation of the church has now been prepared. Every facet from the entire world is coming to a point of it's in the church. Now, uh, he was martyred nonetheless. In fact, it takes us, let's go back to, um, let's see, where would that be at? Let me think about that for a second. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, and let's take a look. It, I think of this as a situation that uh, James and John and ultimately even their mother uh, would have approached Jesus with a request. Let's start in verse 20. This is Matthew 20, verse 20. 
And we're talking about the same James and John, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? What, what, would, what, what, what are you looking for? What do you want? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Now, that's a pretty healthy request, isn't it? It's not just being in the cabinet. Uh, we want them to be in the places of power and position. Because at this point now, again, just to verify, there's so many things that have changed. Uh, not that anything on God's schedule has changed, but the fact of the understanding from the disciples, the apostles, is going to change dramatically. These two, James and John, and, uh, and their mother, came to Jesus saying, they're still thinking, Jesus is going to wipe out the Romans. And this is, this is the kingdom. This is the millennium. We're going to be in charge from here going forward. And just so you know, Jesus, I think it would only be fitting for James to be on one side and John to be on the other. I wonder what Jesus thought. <laughs> oh, you missed it all. You've missed it all. It must have been about that time he was wondering. <laughs> They've been following me around for three years, and that's what they've got out of that? Can you imagine how frustrated some evenings must have been for Jesus? <laughs> Father, how long? Until <laughs> they get it, right? It must be the same for us as well. But you know what? God's not finished with any one of you yet. Philippians 1.6. He's faithful to complete that task to the very end. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad that he's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. Uh, you know, I don't know how your week was. Mine was incredibly difficult, but God worked through it. And here we are, starting of another week. God's still in charge. God's still on the throne. Nothing is removed in the sense of his power. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. At any rate, let's see what he says. <clears throat> uh, Jesus answered verse 22 and said, you know not what you ask. <laughs> you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They have no clue what he's even saying. And they say, we are, we're able. Well, I'll tell you what, James right now, if we're going to Acts chapter 12, he has tasted of the very same thing that our Savior, and that was death for standing for what's right. I think of that as it went on. And he says in verse 23, you shall indeed, I'm sorry, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. It shall be given to them to whom it is prepared of my father. That's a conversation that took place some years previous. And now James is gone. He has been killed by Herod. Now look at verse 3, back to Acts chapter 12. It says, because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. In other words, he's seeing there's a potential for more political clout right here. In fact, he shows them James. He's killed James, and the, and the Jews are like, wow, that's great, fantastic, good job, Herod. Why don't we do more of that? And again, from Roman's perspective, it would look like Herod is doing a fantastic job with the people that he's, that he's ruling over. The Jews are tickled to death. So he says, whoa, let's go for the big dog. Let's go get Peter. Peter's been the one that's been outspoken. He's the one that nobody can keep in jail, by the way. If you notice, this is his third time now. And Herod's taking some precautions we'll talk about it in a moment. But literally the first two times, guess what? I think the Sanhedrin finally says, give up, because you know what? We incarcerate him, he gets out, we go get him, and then he preaches the gospel to us. We have had enough of that. I really think that's what it was. But Agrippa is so... He's so possessed 
with wanting more of the world. Can you see him? He wants accolades. He wants popularity. He wants everything to be shining on him. So he captures Peter. He puts him in jail. Now it says in verse 3 that after he took taken him, it says, then were the days of unleavened bread. Now what's that? What does that mean? It would be about Passover time. It's about the time of Passover. So we know, what do we know about that? Well, we'll read it in the next verse. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, that word Easter has been translated that way. It was by an Anglo-Saxon, probably scribes. That's not even the word it should be there. It should say Passover. That's the word that's literally used in, in the Greek, okay? But you know, we know what we're talking about. It's that time frame of which Jesus Christ, which currently, if you take a look at the time frame in our calendar, Easter, or I prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday, Easter has much to do with Astarte, which was a very pagan kind of a worship. But nonetheless, this is the time of Passover. This is the time of which they're gathered. There's a, you know what? See, Agrippa, how smart the guy is. He knows there will be more people in town around Passover than any other time. So if you think about it, I'm not going to get to that right now. If you think about it, what he's done is everyone he's coming to town, he lets Passover get out, which he has no interest in whatsoever. But shortly after, he's going to parade Peter out before all of these people and then take his life. He'll execute him. You see the setup? I mean, he's, he's fully got it. Now, you've noticed, we read briefly, the fact of how he's going to take care of Peter. He knows his history. He knows he can't keep him in jail. It says four quaternions of soldiers. That would be four sets of four. There's 16 men that, are dest- that their job is to keep that guy, Peter, in prison. So on every six hours, if I'm understanding this correctly, you would have two men that are literally chained to Peter, one on each side. And then you have two of the four that are watching the next gate. So if he would get away from the two guards that he's chained to, there's two more to watch him to get to the... And in case they get tired, we have four sets of these. Does that sound invincible? Now, just a second. Now, we, we know the story. I've read it to you. But step back. Just make sure that you haven't gotten past verse 4. You're living in that day and age. You've slipped under sandals. You're in this place. You are watching King Agrippa taking charge. You've now seen James the Apostle has been beheaded. He has taken Peter into prison. What are you feeling like right now? I would have to say you'd be discouraged. I wouldn't you be? wouldn't you be? I don't care what you think of our world situation right now, but it's discouraging. (laughs) Isn't it? It is. But I'm here to say those Christians did exactly the one and only thing that they had the most power in the universe to do, and that was to get on their knees and pray before their God. It's the same God we get to pray to. It's the same God we have the opportunity to share our concerns with. He's no different. He's just as powerful. And we actually probably are not that helpless. You know what the church had for power? Zero. Zero. You know, we talk about all of the, you know, whether you want to go through legislation or you want to go through the the chain of politics. You know, you're looking for alliances and all. No, 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 no. The church had nothing. 
<laughs> They're an outcast. But they went to God. It's the same place we need to go. We need to go to God. I'm so thankful for you that are praying for me through the week. That's what gets me here. That's what gets me in the word. That's what gets the message that God wants out. It's prayer. It's not of me. Heaven forbid that. They went to pray for Peter. Peter's locked up. You know what? You know what they, I, I'm sure, and I can tell you that we'll, we'll see it. You know what they felt that his chances of being released were? Bad zero. <laughs> we'll find that out in a moment. But they still did. The right, they prayed. Now, how many times have you prayed about something? I don't want you to answer. How many times have you prayed about something you really didn't believe would happen? That's right there in that text. They're praying for Peter to be released, and he's knocking. I'm sorry, I, I got. We'll do it a couple of times. And here's this guy knocking on the door, and our dear sweet Rhoda, who means Rose, she hears his voice, and says, oh, "It's Peter." And you know who believed her? Nobody. <laughs> and they're in a room, earnestly praying for his release, and they didn't believe what they were praying for. And I don't think that's just them. How many times have you prayed for something that's impossible? Something that seems so far, so far out there that it couldn't possibly have happened. You know, another thing that I'm guilty of, uh, I don't think we'll get to it today, but there's two things I want to talk about. And, and apparently it wasn't today. I studied last night some, but it, it just isn't. We've been talking about, and Acts is, a, is, a, is a, a book that talks about the Holy Spirit. It talks about the working of the Holy Spirit. And we can go into Ephesians, we can go to other places, but it talks about being a spirit-filled life, okay? But there's a couple things that just keep, I, I, that I'm urged by, and I, it's not today, it's not tomorrow, I don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to talk about some things that can hinder the Holy Spirit from working within a Christian's life. Now, we all have the Holy Spirit, but we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit or to quench the Holy Spirit. Those are things that we as Christians need to be very, very careful of. Very careful. Because the impact that the Holy Spirit has with our lives, with those two things particularly, can squash the advance of the Holy Spirit, not only in our own lives, but the group and the setting and the people we're serving and being part of. The Holy Spirit's work can literally be thwarted in the sense of its efficiency by how we view it, how we engage in it. But that's coming because there's something about that I just feel we as Christians need to be engaged. We need to be careful not to quench the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit. We'll be coming to that. These people were doing the right thing. They just did. Remember, remember that, uh, wasn't that a centurion? He said to Jesus, um, help my unbelief, right? Jesus told me, help my unbelief. I, I, have to, I sometimes say that. I say, Lord God, help me to believe you more than I've ever believed before. And you know what? He does that. He does that. Well, they're gathered. Um, I, think you've, I think you've got the, the message this doesn't look good. It looks like this could be the end. If we lose Peter, what are we going to do? He's our spokesman. He's the guy. He's the guy that God has used to do everything that's happened over the last, would be close to 10 years. What are we going to do? They prayed earnestly, feverishly. Peter, verse 5, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, that's true. 
our, our, our text actually tells us that. Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't 1 o'clock in the afternoon as Peter comes after, we'll, we'll continue on, but I want to just go ahead for a moment. He's knocking on the door. It wasn't 1 o'clock in the afternoon, people. It was probably the middle of the night. This was a prayer meeting that was going around the clock. I remember when I was young growing up, we uh, as a church, the church that we attended at that time was doing, I can't remember, it was like 48 hours, whatever it was, but it was around the clock. And everybody took a time. To, and, uh, and the ones that didn't get filled in quite as easily, imagine that, like the 2 a.m. to like the 5 a.m. <laughs> I remember taking one of those. And it was still, it was a, I, I don't remember even what I was praying about, but I remember the, the blessedness of being earnestly in prayer with my God. Now, I could have been at home doing that, and I do that regularly for you. At 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, I don't know, I wake up, boom, there I am, and take that kind of that little trip to the other room, and then come back, and there I am, wide awake. But I remember that praying is one of the most powerful things we can do when we're woke, when we're awakened. And I start bringing you guys to mind. I start thinking, God, and it's amazing how God honors that. I don't know you, your, your deepest need. I, yeah, I know you. I don't know your deepest need, but I know God does. And when I'm earnestly praying about that, there's power in that, isn't there? Deep power. That's what these people are doing. I think it's, it's earth-shattering. And I, I obviously, obviously, uh, King Agrippa has no clue of the power that's being unleashed. Not at all. He thinks he's fully in, fully in charge. I, I go through, I'm thinking of Washington, D.C. Those people think they own it. They're in charge. No, they're not. When Herod, verse 6, would have brought him forth, that sounds like the next day kind of thing. And, and they didn't start praying. In other words, Peter wasn't just incarcerated on a Friday. And then the next day, he's going to, no, no, no. I feel this was some sense of a length of time, maybe a week or maybe two weeks. He had him in jail before the Passover. And we know he's going to wait until after the Passover to bring him forward. So this has gone on for some period of time. When he had brought him forth, which would be the next day, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now that's again describes for us the four people, the four men that are involved in, in making sure he doesn't get away. Now, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but let's, let's slip back into Peter's shoes for a moment. Uh, it doesn't look good for you either. Your name is Peter. Uh, Agrippa killed James. He didn't threaten to kill him. He killed him. This was a man that you spent three years with as well. If you were Peter, James, and John, that was the inner three, right? How well did Peter know James? Really, really well. They were like brothers. He's gone. Now, Peter's been in jail two times before, but this is the third time. It's different this time, isn't it? It's different. Because you are in jail on the heels of an execution of one of your best friends. What does that feel like? It feels like Herod's in charge. It does. It feels like it. But did you catch what he was doing? He wasn't pondering. He wasn't worrying. He wasn't... He was sleeping. <laughs> what kind of guy is this? 
This is a guy that's fully trusting in God. Now, I'm going to tell you why. I don't know if this has ever made any sense to you or not, but Peter had a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ in his own words that he could rely on for these moments just like this. Let's go back to John chapter 21. Uh, John chapter 21, and let's take a peek. Just a few pages back, John chapter 21. And we'll set the situation up. They had been told to go and to stay until Jesus came. And, of course, you know Peter being the, the wild and crazy one. He couldn't wait around very long, so they went down fishing. And I, I'm, chapter 21 of John, you should read the whole chapter this afternoon. Just get yourself all gripped on it. And I, but I want to jump ahead. Um, Jesus has a one-on-one with, with Simon, Peter, and he asked him three times if he loved him. And the frustration at the end, Peter finally says, Lord God, you, you know me better than I know myself. And he's weeping, literally. He said, I, 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 can, only, I can only tell you the best that I can do. Okay? So take a look in uh, verse 17. We're going to pick up the last part of that. This is John chapter 21, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time. This is Jesus asking Simon. Simon, the son of Jonas, Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Now watch verse 18. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. You can count on this, Peter. When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. What did he say there? He's not going to die young. He would become an old man. And he did. That's how he could sleep. He's totally in God's care. Now for us, it's really cool. There really isn't anything that should keep us awake. Even though it does, our future is fixed. Why do I always point off to the right when I think of heaven? I don't know. I never go to the left. Have you noticed that? Heaven's off to the right, and it's up, apparently. I don't know what that's about. But at any rate, heaven is a place that we are going to go if we're in Jesus Christ. It's not in question. Whether it's soon or late, it does not matter. That's why, really, martyrdom or persecution has no effect whatsoever on us because we will be in the arms of our Savior. You can count on that. Peter was counting on exactly the same things that Jesus had told him. When you're old, so he's obviously no sense worrying about it here, he's sleeping between two soldiers. Now, I can't imagine that being comfortable either, right? Uh, A prison in that day was not intended to be comfortable at all. I'm sure it wasn't. I mean, I'm I'm getting the feeling that they were, or the the sense of it, that he's sleeping on a prison floor. Ooh, And then we have that seven, verse 7. And behold, <laughs> poof, out of the nowhere, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. Now stop. <laughs> Here's this angel just shows up. And there's a light in the prison. And Peter still doesn't wake up. <laughs> this guy's out. <laughs> and it says he smote him. He actually literally poked him in the ribs. I doesn't say ribs, but he's, you know, hey, wake up, buddy. We got to go. We got to go. Peter, I, he's not awake yet either. He's kind of like just uh, groggy. 
it says that <laughs> raised him up and said, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Now, did you notice something? No. This is important now of the sense of our obedience as well. Now, God is doing a miracle here. But Peter was asked to rise up. And it wasn't until he rose up that the chains fell off. Don't miss what we would call the ordinary in part of an extraordinary or a miracle. The small things were just as important. If Peter had not gotten up, he would still have been there. Don't, don't miss that. We have little things that we need to be participating in as well. As God is doing mighty works, we are still called to do what he has called us to do. Verse 8, the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. In other words, put your coat on and follow me. He went out and followed him. And wist not it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He's, he's, he just he thinks he's dreaming this. And by the way, that would be pretty normal because when's the last time you were in prison with four guys, two of them bound to you, two of them at the gate, and you're free. That's weird. <laughs> Don't blame him. I probably think I was dreaming as well. He's having a good dream. When they were past the first and second ward, thereby all of the guards, they came unto the iron gate. This is the prison gate itself that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And he could just walk up to the gate and open sesame. Except he didn't say anything. The gate just opens. The angel and Peter walk out. And he passed on through one street. And they go one block. And all of a sudden, the angel takes off. Departed. Now, here's Peter, one block away from the prison. And he's free. And it's like he finally wakes up. What am I doing here? Right? What am I doing here? How did I get here? You I mean, that was... Oh, that was real. That actually happened. Oh, my goodness. Now, um, at this point, what would you do? <laughs> Did you say hide? Run. run. Yeah, run and hide, right? Run and hide because <laughs> they're going to be looking for me. But meanwhile, back at the house, there's people that don't know what's happened. They're praying for it to happen. What would you say those people need to know right now? I want you back in the prayer meeting now. God has been busy answering the prayers that the people at the prayer meeting have been praying for for his release. That's what they're praying for. What do they need to know in that place? There's a couple things. I think it's very clear it's for us as well today. This is a passage we could use for us today. They needed to know God was in control. They needed to know God was in control. Because right now it looks a little bit precarious. We've lost our first apostle. King Agrippa has killed him. But now we have Peter, the spokesman of the church, has been accosted, he's incarcerated, and Herod is going to kill him. In fact, I'm pretty sure he was announcing the next day that I'm going to bring Peter out and we're going to make his life go away and the Jews will just have an uproar of hooray, hooray. That would have been a pretty somber meeting that night. Yes, they were praying. But I think on a scale of 1 to 10, how many believed it was actually going to happen? It's pretty low. It's pretty low. It's pretty low. So Peter has to do something. And by the way, he does disappear off the pages, literally. He, we're not told where he went. And, and there was probably a very good reason for it. Who wrote the book of Acts? 
Luke. Luke was another one of the apostles. Um, and this would have been a letter that would have come out fairly recently after these events took place. I mean, it would have happened pretty quickly. And literally, I think Luke was probably, um, what do you want to call it, safeguarding Peter's place of residence or where he went because they would have probably went to try to find him again. We're not told where Peter went. In fact, from this point on, we don't know very much about Peter at all. But before he goes where he went, he's going to go to that prayer meeting because they, know, they need to know God is in charge and they need to know that God answers prayer. That's one of the things that encourages me. You guys, as we're praying, one of the things that I fall short of, I woke up this morning thinking, is there were people, there were, many of you were praying for me and my group this week. And there's still, like always, there's things that go on, and it, you don't know exactly where it ends or lands. But you know what? We fail to be thankful for the things that God answers. I think, Paul, you've spoken of it. You know, we go back to 1999 is when this, this little group here started. I mean, can you believe that? Right? January, January of 1999. That's been a couple years back. If somebody would have told me in January of 1999 that we would be meeting here in the year 2023, I would have said, that is wishful thinking. But God. That's it. All right. But God. But God. And think of all of the prayers that God has answered, that we've sent to heaven asking for his release for his healing for his what answers whatever it is whatever it could. and i'm scared to say i'll bet you we haven't thanked him for all of those answers that we've received isn't it true we're on to another one right? we've got another need we've got another request and we're never to cease with thanksgiving so he's going to Peter's going to show up and he's going to show them that God is in control. King Agrippa is not in control right now. Not even close. And then secondarily, that God literally answers prayer. We need those same two things today. Don't we? We do. Our world has gone mad. Same God. Same prayers. Same results. God is in charge. Now, the times that's difficult for us is when the James are martyred. When we lose what we think, and I'm saying that word carefully in italics, in italics James was never lost. He's in, <laughs> him and Jesus are talking. They're in heaven together. That's when one of us, one of our Christian brothers or sisters, when they've gone on ahead, I think of those missionaries that, again, were killed in South America. It seems tragic, and yet they're safe. They're safe. Plus, God used those lives that were snuffed out to literally bring others to him. See, God's in charge. God's sovereignly working to bring all of those that would be his to him. Same deal's going on. Okay, now, so Peter's gathering himself up for a moment. What is going on here? No chains. There's the prison. And I'm like, Alice, I think I'm going to run. <laughs> 
But he goes, he goes to the place. Now, it's thought of whether you realize this or not, but this, this picture we have, or this, whatever it is, on the wall would be a uh, depiction of the Last Supper, the last time they were together. Now, tradition has it that that place was in the same place as these people are praying, the mother of John Mark. That's the tradition of where the Last Supper was. If that's true, I don't know, but the point of the matter is it's almost the same kind of, they're praying. It's a quiet time. They're engaged in praying. So <laughs> it says when he had considered the thing, which I think took more than a couple of seconds, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was, John, was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, this is the first we find of this man, John Mark. Your Gospels, you have John, which you know John. We actually just went there. John would be an apostle. We have Luke, obviously, the Gospel of Luke. We have Matthew, which would be the apostle Matthew. And then there's Mark. That's this Mark, John Mark, whose mother is Mary. Now, interestingly enough, the, the information would have come from the Holy Spirit. Absolutely true. No question about it. The, the, the Holy Spirit is what inspired the writing. But the one that would have been close to John Mark to give him revelation of all of the events of those three years of walking with Jesus would have been none other than Simon Peter. Simon Peter. There's a, you see the relationships that are here. Well, he comes to the house, and it says, as Peter knocked... At the door of the gate, a damsel, a young servant girl, came to hearken to see who's there, named Rhoda. Now, before you go any further, we've already, we've already, you've already taken ourselves past, but don't make this, make this time frame just unfold. So here you have someone in the middle of the night. It has to be the middle of the night. It has to be, right? And all of a sudden, you hear in the middle of the night, now, I'm going to tell you something. Rhoda is the most heroic person in that room. Would you get up after they've just gathered Peter and thrown him into prison? She's a gutsy girl. And she goes over. I'm sure tentatively, there's no question, because she never did open the door. But let's keep reading. She came to the door, and when she knew or heard Peter's voice, she knew Peter's voice from, I mean, he talked all the time. She would have known him from just acquaintances and, and even been visiting with, no doubt, that family. She opened not the gate for gladness. And she's not, she, she hears his voice, and she just, ha, ah, it's Peter. So she runs in, and, and, this, and this house, this dwelling would have been, there's like an external gate where he would have been knocking. And then there was like a courtyard, usually, on the middle, and then there was rooms around that, okay? So she runs in to tell the rest of the group how Peter stood before the gate. Now, <laughs> I just, this is, I mean, this is crazy, right? Why are they there? They're praying for Peter. What are they praying for Peter? To be released, okay? Do they believe God? If you asked them, they would say, yes, we believe God. In fact, for them to be gathered and have a prayer meeting to God about Peter, yes, they do. No, they don't. <laughs> so here's Rhoda. They're knocking on the door. She hears, and Peter says, let me in, right? It's Peter. You won't believe it. Peter's out. Girl, you need sleep. <laughs> they thought she was crazy. And she keeps, no, 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 I heard his voice. I know he's out there. And Peter, poor, poor Peter, he keeps knocking. 
Somebody come, right? <laughs> oh, they said, you're mad. Verse 15, she said, she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then they said this. It is his angel. Now, in the Jewish culture in that day, particularly, uh, I would say, in Judaism, and now it would have been no less in the Christianity, is it was believed that everyone had a guardian angel. Okay? In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. We'll find some of that thought process. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, um, Jesus is, is speaking. And he's talking, he's at, he has a little child in verse 2, you'll find he called a little child unto him, set him in the midst of him. So he's using a childlike faith, but let's, let's go down to verse 10 now of chapter 18, Matthew. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you, that in heaven their angels, T-H-E-I-R, do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. It was very much believed that everyone had a guardian angel. In fact, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter one and chapter uh, Hebrews chapter one verse fourteen. Uh, we know that they're called ministering spirits. The angels are God's His beckoning to perform services. Uh, chapter one of Hebrews verse fourteen. Are they not all speaking of angels? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That was the thought process. And so they're saying, well, it certainly isn't Peter, but it, you know, it's probably his angel, his guardian angel. And I'm thinking, you know, let's, they, they're not thinking either. They're asleep yet, apparently, because if that was an angel, he would just come through the door. He, would be, right? he wouldn't have to be pounding on the door, right? So they're, they're not thinking, they're, they're messed up right now. They're trying to figure out what is going on. Back to Acts chapter 12, verse 17. No, I'm sorry, verse 16. But Peter continued knocking ad nauseum, right? He just goes on and on and on. And when they, and, oh, did you see something here now? Did you see that? Did you sit, catch the pronoun? It wasn't like, okay, Rhoda, go open the door and see who's there. It says They. In fact, I'm pretty sure they weren't so sure of what was behind the door. But they said, let's just, and as a group, let's just open it up and see what's out there, right? I don't, they did not believe that this was Peter. When they opened it up, the, opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Are you astonished when God answers a prayer? <laughs> Sometimes, right? Let's be honest. They were astonished. They were there earnestly praying. They were involved intensely. That word that we find to describe their praying of intensity, uh, that's only used a couple other times in Scripture. They were totally praying. I, I, like that, I like that word. They were totally engaged. Is that the way you pray? Or is it just kind of saying totally, intensely praying? They were gathered for that reason. But he, verse 17, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. I'll bet you. Can you imagine? It's a quiet evening downtown. We've got this man. I'm here to say every single person in Jerusalem would know Peter, the apostle. They also would know that he's been put in prison. That went through like wildfire. And he's outside in the street 
knocking on the door, wondering who may be out there. So you can, and you can, in their sense of astonishment, it would have been a loud place. It was like a party on kind of a thing, wouldn't you? You're praying for Peter to be released, and there he is. God is great. And he's saying, very quiet right now. Let's not call any attention to this. He declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the... Stop, I thought James was dead. Not that James. (laughs) Now, there's another miracle here, isn't there, actually? When you think about it, Jesus had a half-brother whose name was James. And I don't have, I'm not even going to go back and look in the Gospels. Jesus' family thought he was off his rocker, right? Because they grew up in the same home, and it was like, you're calling yourself the son of God? Knock it off already. But you know what? We are going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's watch. This is the moment I'm sure that James, his half-brother, saw the light, if you will. The 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. I would say, if, you, if you've got somebody, and this is way off the subject, but it's not because we're here. Let's say that you were concerned about sharing the gospel to someone, and you want it to be really succinct, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You, you want to get the word of God in there. It's not up to you. Your testimony, nobody can argue with what Jesus has done for you, but you want to use the word of God, because that's how the Holy Spirit uses the word to affect the hearts and lives of those that need him. And you as well. If you want to be not yielding to the Spirit, if you do not want to be filled with the Spirit and all this control by the Spirit, just don't read the Bible. That works effectively. But here in the Word, there's very succinct within two verses. You want to share the gospel with someone? I start in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Here it is. How that Christ died for our sins our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Those two verses succinctly tie in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's keep going. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James. That's Jesus' half-brother. Now, I don't know what it was going like before that, but it tells us that Jesus' family were not very impressed with Jesus and all of his claims. They just felt, oh my goodness, don't do that stuff. But I'll tell you what, Mary, Jesus' mother, would have been there at the crucifixion site. She, I can't imagine what that would be like for a mother. I, I don't have any idea. What things would have been flashing through her mind? See, she didn't know the whole picture either, Right? was told that she was that it would, it would call his name Jesus that they would be saved from their sins and here she's watching her son literally being crucified right in front of her and then he's dead she heard him say it is finished and that was the end of the beginning from that statement because of what had taken place on that cross sins would and could be forgiven but can you imagine what that would have been in that home that family gathering as Jesus, her oldest son, was dead and he was buried. What did James think about that? Well, we don't know. 
but it certainly couldn't have been something that, huh. But I'll tell you when it started to come together is when Jesus, his brother, appeared to him alone and said, James, all of those things I said are true. I am risen from the dead. I'm sold. <laughs> right? I'm sold. Now, we do know that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was literally the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was the leader in Jerusalem. So that's what Peter's saying. I want you now to, I'm, I'm going I'm to leave. I, you guys have seen God is in control. You've seen that God answers prayer. I'm going to leave now, not telling you where I'm going, and you go tell James what you've just seen and heard. Uh, Laramie, let's put that map up on the board because we're going to need it in just a second of Israel. And he departed and went into another place. And we're not told where that was at. Luke does not share that. Now, as soon as it was day, you see, it was in the middle of the night when all of this has taken place. It was day. There was no small stir among the soldiers. Uh, how about if you want to be on the soldiers team for a moment? Now, guys, um, the way it was, the, the understanding was, is whatever penalty the prisoner was that you were guarding, if he got away, you got that punishment. It made a little bit more incentive to take care of business. <laughs> How about the next set of four men coming on board? Oh boy, this is a long shift again. I hate this stuff in the early in the morning. And uh, what did you guys do to the prisoner? Where's he at? Where do you go? Can you imagine? Can you imagine those four guys waking up? Where'd he go? He was just here. The chain? What? Where? How? No small stir. That's what's going on here. It's crazy. And who do you think they're the most fearful of now is King Agrippa. He's got the power to extinguish their lives. Now, here's the real key, though. If one of those four that were killed, because they did, he, he was mad, he was mad. And a mad, politically powerful individual take out his vengeance on anyone that he can. It happens today. This, this isn't new information. This happens all the time. It takes place in our country. It takes place all over the world. It took place that day. King Agrippa kills those four soldiers because they let that prisoner get away. Now, this was an opportunity for a king. I want to stop here for just a second. Just hold this one. Talk about the grace of God and the mercy of God. I'm going to tell you there was one person in that room that did know he was not in charge right now. Because it says that he questioned them. That he, and I don't, yeah, he killed them, but he knew. This is God. This is somebody bigger. It wasn't just by accident that Peter got away the previous two times. This is the third time. And I tell you what. I took all precautions. And you thought, don't you think those 16 men that he chose were trusted Roman soldiers that he could count on? And those four paid with their life. Now, again, this is the thing. Even if sometime in the future that we as Americans, that our lives will be taken because we believe in Jesus Christ. And don't think that's far-fetched. We're moving in that direction quickly. There are men and women today that are losing their lives in other countries because they're standing up for Jesus. 
But here's the difference. Those four men, I'm not, I'm not saying they were or weren't. I'm, it would seem that they probably were not followers of Christ. I don't know. But again, we don't know what Peter told those two guys before he fell asleep. Guys, you need to know Jesus. Because that's what he did. He talked to everybody. Did one of them accept Christ that night? I'm here to say, if one of them did, even though they were executed, they were in the arms of their Savior. See, that's the difference. It's not shortcut by death. That's the hope that I have. I'll stand here and preach God's word until God calls me home. And if that's, hand, if that's at the hands of a King Agrippa that thinks he can fight God, that foolish individual will lose his life and go to an eternity to hell if you want to fight God that far. But even though my life may be snuffed out, my life is safely in the arms of Jesus. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said that. Isn't it true? It's absolutely true. Herod, verse 19, had sought for him. He looked for him. He found him now. He couldn't find him. He examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. He's just angry. But you talk about God giving one more chance. It's right there. You can't miss it. It's in the text. King Agrippa knew more than anyone that God had intervened, that God had removed Peter from that situation. What a time to drop to your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? But Herod missed that one too. That's what power and prestige and politics can do. It says that Herod was highly displeased. I'm sorry, I, I got too fat. Let me go back. Let me go back. Verse 19. When Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers, commanded they should be put to death, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea in their abode. He's mad. He's in a huff. He's pouting. So he's in, he's in Jerusalem. That's where all of the Passover events were taking place. That's where we would have incarcerated him. Peter, that is. And then, we, which we've learned about, let me grab this. This will come in handy. There we go. Okay. So as we learned uh, a week or two ago, Caesarea. That was a, that's an important place where literally Cornelius was at. Remember the beginning, of the, the, the beginning of the Gentiles within the church. So this would have been a Roman stronghold. Okay. In fact, King Herod the first, the great, would have been involved in creating that city. He made, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful spot. So here we have our King Agrippa. He's... Oh, He's mad. He's, he's, so he takes off and goes from there, and he's holed up at his, his house there in Caesarea. He goes home. He's mad. Now, if you'll notice, there's two towns we're going to talk about in the next. It's Tyre and Sidon. There were, there were seaports north, and they would have been very dependent upon the, the economy from Galilee. They really didn't grow anything in these areas. You can tell almost from the topography. Okay? They were very um, dependent upon agriculturally other parts within Galilee particularly, of which, guess who's in charge? Our man, King Agrippa. He's, he's got the power of all of that. So let's, let's watch that unfold now. And Herod, verse 20, was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. And they came with one accord to him, and having, been made, and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. There's a lot of things being said in that verse. You can tell that they have been cut off. Uh, Mr. 
Mr. King Agrippa has, I don't know whatever the reasoning was, but he was pretty ticked off at those two cities. And maybe they were charging him too much to ship goods because that's what they did. Those were seaports. That's, that's how their merchandise, uh, that's how their money was made, was through shipping, okay? Now, Blastus, it says, was the king's chamberlain. What does that mean? If you're a chamberlain, what are you? No? That, okay. Obviously, very, very close to him. But a chamberlain would have been someone that literally would have been taking care of a, the king's private finances. This was the inside guy to finance. If you could get weighed through all of these people that King Agrippa would have surrounded himself with, the Chamberlain was one that was very, the very most innermost in the sense of finance to the king. What better place could we bribe someone? <laughs> this sounds like a USA thing going on, right? Huh, what the world? Well, they get Blastus' ear and said, we need to make peace with the king. And I'm, it doesn't say it, but you have to think, here's Blastus. Um, I'm not hearing you yet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, but here's some, right? You can see it, it's there. Because what do you think Blastus is doing? You think free of charge? He would go to king and he said, hey, I tell you what, a grip old buddy, old pal. Um, you know that city of Tyre and, and Sidon? You know, I, 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 stop, stop. You're really ticked off. I get it. I get it. And they deserve it. I get it. But you know what? I think they really are trying to make peace with you. I think what we should do is have a meeting. I mean, I think those guys need to come down to Caesarea. And you guys just talk. I think you'll work it out. That's what's taking place. Hmm. Interesting. Well, King Agrippa, there's only one love in his life, and it's himself. It says in verse 21, upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. Now, the, the cool, really cool thing is, now we're reading the Bible, and that's number one, okay? Well, Josephus, the Jewish historian, also wrote of this event. And it's, it's, just, it's just absolutely the same picture. It, it's the same deal. Now, what there was, they actually created a ceremony because Claudius Caesar who was in Rome, which is a long ways away. That's okay, Laramie. I mean, it's a long ways away. He had successfully returned from Great Britain in a, in a large escapade, and he had won. I mean, he'd, he'd gotten it done. Well, Claudius's birthday was on this set day. So Agrippa is gathering all of the people to give homage to the Caesar on day one, Day two, on the other hand, would be all about him. That sounds an awful like what happened in the previous section of chapter 12, the Passover gathering all of the people, and then Herod's going to have his day after the Passover showing what kind of a hero he is by killing Peter. This guy, is in, he's incredible, isn't he? It's all about him. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore, though, does it? No, it's just it's kind of just chapter 12. So he's sitting on a throne, and he made an oration. I, I don't know what he said. But the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a God, not of a... Now, just a moment, just a moment. I bet it wasn't that good. Because if you didn't have verse uh, 20, 
you wouldn't have the background on what's going on. This group of people that came from Tyre and Sidon came to Caesarea with one mission, one mission, and that is to stop starving to death. If, if King Agrippa had said, worship me, they would have worshipped him because they needed him to get what they wanted. So he, said, he could have said, the moon is black, and they would have said, that sounds like a god to me, right? I mean, I'm serious. He could have said anything. But he says, and Josephus in his history says that he was actually wearing a garment made of silver. So in the midday, that sun, can you imagine how he would have looked pretty bright, way bright. And when you have to have sunglasses to look at somebody, that's a little bright. Just exactly what he would have wanted. He wanted to look just like that. And he knew that Tyre and Sidon would literally fall down and worship him because he had them right where he wanted them. It's a perfect setup. And, and the one that's going to win is guess who? King Agrippa. Uh, if you've noticed, humbleness is not part of his uh, characteristics. It wasn't part of the whole Herod syndrome, shall we say. They said it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately, verse 23, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. And, and Josephus says that in five days he was dead. It's foolish to fight God. I don't know another chapter in the Bible that would prove that even more clearly than that. Here's a man that's had two shots at it, and he had numerous other ones, but think of that. He received that glory to himself. Now, did you see the word smote? It said that the Lord, the angel, the, I mean, the, the angel of the Lord smote him. That is exactly the same word in the Greek as it was to the guy that poked Peter in the ribs. Smote. It's the same word. Far different results. Far different results. Peter was sleeping, wanting to do God's will. Agrippa was shouting and be trying to be a god, and his life ended. It's foolish to fight God. I can't think of, uh, it was, uh, what was his name? Ernest Hemingway. He made a statement that I, I can't get it exactly, but basically he said, there is no God that can press me into his mold of morality. I will not be moved. Ten, day, ten years to the day, that man took his own life. Ernest Hemingway. You cannot fight God. You cannot. I'm glad God wins all the time. I'm glad that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father except through me. I'm glad that's exclusive. I'm glad that it's not fuzzy, and, it, and we don't know exactly what he meant by that. I want directness. That's just the way the scripture is. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that clear? And yet Satan somehow will make that fuzzy. I can't tell you how many people you share that with and they just, you get that deer in the headlights look. That's Satan blinding their eyes, beguiling them. That's why when we pray for the Holy Spirit to have his way, and dealing with hearts of men and women. It's the Holy Spirit that saves people. It's not a cutesy message. It's not a, but faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the word to directly move minds and hearts towards Jesus Christ. We have a world today that needs to know more about Jesus. They need to know more about Jesus. 
Agrippa, and, and, and you know, I actually love the fact, that, and it hit me today, I, I never really saw that, but Agrippa left Jerusalem with his tail between his legs going to Caesarea, mad as a mad hornet could be, and yet he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was sovereign. He knew that God delivered Peter from his strength. He was given another chance. I just pray for men and women across our globe today that they've been given another chance. May they use it appropriately. The Hitlers of the world. Stalins. The Khrushchevs. The Gs. Today that are shaking their fist and have shook their fist. Let's read the next two verses. But the word of God grew and multiplied. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. That's the home in which they were praying was the mother of John Mark. He now is going to go with Barnabas and Paul. And there's a bit of a failure going on there. I'll tell you in advance. John Mark gets homesick and goes back home. Maybe it wasn't tough enough at home. I don't know. But you know what's really cool is you go to the last, I always like the end of the story. Paul said, bring John Mark with you. He's good for the ministry. There's a man that was mature, that took time to be everything that God wanted him to be. Barnabas was that encouraged. He said, we need to take John Mark. Now, they were related, too. There was a relation there. But he was always building. He was always building someone up, wasn't he? We need to be good at that, too. We need to be building and growing and helping people become more like Jesus Christ. John Mark, a young man that God used. I'm wondering. This is just, just me this morning, just thinking. Could it be that John Mark was one of those praying in that room and didn't really know if God was in control, didn't really know if God answered prayer, but he was there and watched Peter knock on that door and came inside and God says to him in his heart, I want you to work for me. Because it seems, doesn't it seem really weird? Same chapter, all of a sudden John Mark's on board for going, helping on the cause of the gospel. How about you? Has God got your attention through he being in control and that he answers prayer? He wants you in the ministry. He wants you to share it with your lives and your words that he is in control. And it's foolish to fight God. I want to show you, I, was, I told you we were going to close with this. Um, let's go to, uh, actually in Isaiah, first of all, Isaiah chapter 45, I believe I had it wrong to start with. I think it's 45.9. I'll know in a minute. Uh, Isaiah 45.9. Yeah, there, look at this. Yeah, it, this is from the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 45.9. It says this. If you're there, Isaiah 45.9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. Um, I'm going to show you a couple of individuals that are coming. Their coming demise is, I don't know if it's short. Or it's a ways off, but it's described for us clearly. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And let's have Daniel's perspective, which is many, many, many years ago, speaking about the coming Antichrist. I want to show you um, that person's 
foolish to fight against God as well. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak, Daniel 7, 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it on the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Even the Antichrist will fail. He will fail miserably. Let's go to Revelation and close out here, our time together. This is what uh, the one that was in charge and sent Peter to the Isle of Patmos. He thought he would be harmless there, but these are words that give us a great deal of encouragement even today. Revelation chapter 19, first of all. Revelation chapter 19. This is a coming battle that has not happened, but it is going to happen, and this will be the results of it. Revelation 19, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, power, pomp, politics, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. No fight, taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he received them, that with, I'm sorry, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. They lost. They fought against God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's no one more powerful that's been created than Satan. He cannot fight against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is doomed. Praise God. It's not up for question. If anyone hears my voice, Father, on a podcast or wherever, and if you're fighting God today, stop. Stop right now. Stop. It's a futile, futile, futile. You cannot win. May you ask that God would, re- would receive your repentant heart. That Jesus Christ did in fact die for you. He gave his life for you. He died on a cruel cross at Calvary. And when he said it is finished, his blood forever is good enough to save you from your sins. And it was proven when God raised him from the dead. Right now in, the, in heaven at the right hand of God. That same Jesus Christ, the one that walked this earth, is the one that can save your soul. I pray that if you're hearing my voice, that today you'd receive him by faith. It's foolish to fight God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth that we have. And Father, even as you've shown me today that in chapter 12 of Acts, yes, it's foolish to fight God. You are sovereign, you are in control, and you answer prayers of those that are earnestly, fervently, totally immersed in wanting your will. Father, but to give even King Agrippa, an evil, evil man, giving him another chance, he knew, Father, that you 
had won. He knew that Peter had escaped because you had chosen it to be. But he continued to flaunt what measly power he had and paid the price. Father, thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us. We thank you for what we've received in the sense of salvation and eternal life. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one that has trusted Christ as Savior. Father, we had asked that even in these day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, as we yield to the Son through the Spirit, that, Father, you would be glorified and you alone would be glorified. Grow us up, mold us, make us what you want us to be. May we look just a little bit more like Jesus, even at the end of this day, as you've taken the word and went to the innermost parts of our lives. You're continuing to mold us and make us just like what you want us to be. Don't stop. Keep going. Father, I pray for someone here today that may have a very troubling situation, something that is bigger than they can talk about. It's a deep chasm that's plaguing them. Father, surround them with your love. Hold them as close as could possibly be. Lift them up. Encourage them because you are a God that's in control. No questions. And Father, you answer prayer. Hold us through this week. We trust in you. In Christ's precious name. Amen.